Time for our series on New Zealand sporting history, which is a mix of recent events that have made history as well as some older ones. And today, I think we're taking you back as far as we've ever taken you, back to 1910, when Australian mountaineer Frida de Four became the first non-woman to climb our tallest mountain, Auraki Mount Cook. Frida achieved many other records and firsts in her mountaineering career. And to talk about it today, Victoria University of Wellington Professor of History, Charlotte MacDonald's. Charlotte, tenakwe. Tenakwe, Jesse. Thank you for your time today. When did you get interested in Frida? Oh, a long time ago. Uh, Frida de Four was somebody who struck my imagination, as she did many other people, when people began looking at well, where were the women in history, and here was Frida. Um, dramatically and gloriously jumping out of the pages in the newspapers and, of course, from her own book, which she published in 1915. Do people tend to know of her or is she one of those people that has kind of been forgotten uh, historically over the sort of the hundred years since? She's, she's probably come and gone. So at the time of her life, she was known and her deeds and climbing were well reported in the newspapers as well as in, in her own book. So she yeah. was she was well known then. In mountaineering circles, she probably continued to be remembered, but probably dropped out of general knowledge until probably 1970s. So a reprint of her book was published in 1977, so a facsimile edition. Mm-hmm. And as that interest in, in women doing interesting things burgeoned, she uh, came to have a sort of new life. And I think she's she's been there ever since. Okay, great. Um, and we can't claim her as a New Zealander, right? She was born in Sydney, unequivocally. Oh, born in Sydney, unequivocally. So there's no um, Pavlova element <laughs> to Frida de Four here. No, sadly not. Okay, tell me about her early life. So she was born in 1882 in Sydney to a reasonably well-off family, uh, and she she loved the outdoors. So they lived near the Kurungai, um Chase National Park, which is now sort of in, in a Sydney, but at that time was sort of more on the edges. And she recalls spending a lot of her early life and childhood and young adulthood being out there exploring, um, climbing. Actually, what she was doing was sort of rock climbing uh, in a lot of ways. Often in the company of her dog, who would she describes sitting at the bottom of a rock face, sort of howling mournfully, <laughs> <laughs> while she climbed up some precipitous uh, cliff and then uh, sat at the top that the dog couldn't get to. So she was already drawn to sort of outdoor things and adventure. Although she was a very slight person, so she wasn't a big, vigorous, sort of muscly individual at all. Quite the opposite. Uh, Here's a piece that Frida wrote about falling in love with the mountains. She said, Mm. From the moment my eyes rested on the snow-clad Alps, I worshipped their beauty and was filled with a passionate longing to touch those shining snows, to climb to their heights of silence and solitude and feel myself one with the mighty forces around me. That's quite beautiful. She obviously had a talent for language too. Absolutely. And rereading her book, which I you know go back to from time to time, you're struck again by her wonderful sense of um, joy, passion and delight in the mountains and being in them and what she was doing. But her tremendous capacity to convey that as well. So um, that's a particularly um, passionate passage. But all the way through, she gives you a sense of um, the drama of climbing, um, the frustration when the weather was bad, and and just the um, the glory of place and what she's doing. So she she's a very riveting writer. She's definitely worth revisiting. 
and was mountaineering a known and popular sport back around the turn of the 19th, 20th century? So it's it's the era of guided climbing, both in Europe, but also in places like New Zealand. So people who went as alpinists or as mountaineers at that time were mostly people who had the time and the money to, to go off to wherever in the world there were good mountains to climb uh, and could afford to employ guides. Right. So this, that was the, the kind of nature of climbing. It wasn't that everybody did it that way. And, of course, Auraki Mount Cook was famously climbed for the first time, in inverted commas, in, um, a, on Christmas Day of 1894 by the three uh, men who decided they would um, outfox the um, foreign alpinists who they knew were on the way ah. to New Zealand, Fitzgerald and Zurbriggen. Yeah, uh, and, I haven't heard that story. Oh, yeah, so so they were going to get there first, So and they did. <laughs> so so that was the kind of local boys make good um, sort of conquest, and mm. they were, I suppose, more what we would see later in the amateur tradition. But it was much more common to do, as Frida did, and many other people did, who came to the hermitage. So, again, remembering that the the first hermitage in the same, basically the same site as the modern one, was there from from the late nineteenth century. So people were coming to the mountains for all the reasons that people go to such places for beauty, for recreation, to be in those wondrous places from very early on. So, you know, there are several hermitage buildings, all of which burn down um, uh, periodically, <coughs> but there's the hermitage being the place that people go uh, to stay while they're in the mountain regions. Yes, this is, for people who don't know it, it's a hotel near Mount Cook, right, at the... Yeah, right at the foot of Mount Cook. So, yeah. so if you are at the Hermitage now and looking out on their um, from their windows, you're looking directly up the Hooker Valley, and then on the clear days at the beautiful peak <laughs> of uh, the peaks of Auraki. <laughs> their view is quite something. Oh, eh? <laughs> it's sensational! And there's Auraki on the you know right in front of you, and there's Mount Sefton. Uh, the beautiful cupola shape up on just to round to your left, and and then the great Tasman Glacier and the Tasman Mountains just just down the road. So when did Frida start thinking about Mount Cook as something that she might want to climb? So she and her family had the habit of visiting New Zealand uh, in the early 20th century. She's a young woman in her early 20s. But in 1906, um, they visit and come to the South Island for the first time. And why they do that is because the big Christchurch International Exhibition is on in 1906-1907. And so they go to the exhibition and go, go and look around all the pavilions as people did and go to all the events they're associated with. And while she's at the exhibition, Frida sees these these photographs of Auraki Mount Cook, and she's absolutely struck with these visions wow. of these beautiful mountains. And she says, you know, I can't just look at the photographs. I have to go and see them myself. <laughs> so she goes off uh, south to Mount Cook, and that's where she, you know, she, she falls in love with the mountains exactly as you describe. And she says, you know, her snow-starved Australian soul mm. was never the same again because Gosh. she was always <laughs> uh, driven to the mountains. And yeah. uh, she said, the love of the mountains is something which wells up from within and will not be denied. So thereafter, um, she's there in 1906 and does her first um, sort of forays and walks around um, basically the foothills or the, the edges and the valleys and vows to come back as soon as she can. Now, her aunt plays quite a big part in her life in these early years, too. Aunt Emmeline. 
and I think it's her death in 1908 that sort of, what did it spark Frida's move to New Zealand to climb it? Uh, I, it, it, her mother dies in 1907, uh-huh. um, but in 1908 she comes back for what is her summer visits to the mountains. So uh-huh. from 1906 and then 1908 through to 1913, Frida's in New Zealand every summer right. to climb in the mountains. Huh. Mm. She found a teacher? So, so she employs, as people do, um, guides there. And the two greatest guides uh, at Mount Cook at that time were um, two brothers, Peter and Alec Graham, who were actually Westlanders, but they spent their summer earning money guiding at Mount huh. Cook. And they, they're legendary. Um, and if you look on, um, I think, on the online uh, for the program, there's a magnificent photograph of Frida sta- sitting in the middle and Alec and Peter Graham standing on either side, both with their hands on um, ice axes, wearing uh, tweed suits, um, shirts and ties. So that's the image of the professional guide. Gosh. So uh, it's it's a wonderful photograph. And it looks sort of slightly um, perhaps strange to us in terms of our image of mountaineers, perhaps. But that was absolutely the image of the professional mountain guide. And there is Frida absolutely um, in in the image of mountaineering at that time. Yeah, I believe that is on our website, mm. rnz.co.nz slash jessie. Yes, the idea of wearing a tie uh, mountaineering <laughs> will uh, make people smile a bit. Um, and, you know, this wouldn't have been normal at that time, right? A, a young woman passionate about becoming a mountain climber. No, and, and, and Frida was unusual in, in her zest and her skill and her determination and to some extent her um, ability because she had private means to spend the time uh, and, the, and the money um, to, to pursue what had become her love. So she, it wasn't that other women didn't go to the hermitage and walk and do some climbing, but none to the extent that Frida did. So she's often simply described as the first woman to climb Mount Cook. uh, And in the modern era, that's probably the case. But what's also interesting about um, her climb of Auraki Mount Cook in December of um, 1910 is that she is the they make the fastest ascent, so she's. Oh. They get to the top two hours faster than anybody else. So, she's. She was really a leading um, climber of her day, irrespective of the fact that she was a woman as well. And the other climbs that she does in her visits to New Zealand also were were quite um, spectacular and outstanding. So, so she's a mountaineer of some um, acclaim. Yes, there are a couple of uh, records that she set even before she mm. uh, started on Araki Mount mm. Cook, right? Mm. So, you know, she's she's fast, um, and, and even in her very first kind of significant climb, where she climbs Mount Seely, um, Peter, where she does with Peter Graham, and a a, a much um, <laughs> a much resented sort of chaperone who has to go with them <laughs> because the propriety at the time frowned on Frida, a single woman going off with a single man where there wasn't anybody else who could see what was going on. I mean, 
and it's ludicrous to our eyes, but um, that was the kind of propriety of the time. Um, but the chaperone uh, was was rather slow and pathetic, uh, and there oh, was Frida gosh. kind of roaring ahead, uh, yeah. and Peter Graham and sort of would turn around, and Frida was immediately behind him, and you know he had thought that she might be struggling along, but she was as fast, if not faster, than he was. <laughs> And again, I mean, the, the idea of being a mountaineer was one thing, but now this woman is trying to climb Mount Cook. It would have mm. made a bit of news at, mm. ti- at the time, or certainly in the local area, people would have all been aware aware of it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, even sort of significant visitors to the Hermitage and, and to the Mount Cook region were often reported in the newspapers. I mean, people uh, people might be surprised at how much detail about individuals was published in the newspapers at the time. So if you go onto Papers Past and look at digitised newspapers from New Zealand at this time, you'll find extraordinary detail of who's mm. arrived on such and such a ship and what they're doing and where yeah. they're going. <laughs> so, and, and people who are going to the Hermitage to climb are often significant or interesting visitors of some sort. Um, so Frida's... Um, is she mentioned in those papers? She is, and yeah. her, her climb of Cook is. Um, and so you can see accounts of that in the, in the local papers. And, and then those reports are th- then also appear in the, of the Australian papers because you know she's an Australian as well. So it's, it's significant <laughs> news for them to also publish. Uh, we're on New Zealand sporting history. We're talking about Frida de Four, who is the first woman in the modern era to, or the first non-woman, probably the best way of putting it, to climb our mm. tallest mountain, Aoraki Mount Cook. Uh, talking me through it is Victoria University of Wellington Professor of History, Charlotte MacDonald. Charlotte, what did she wear for the climb? So the, the famous photographs of Frida uh, all show her with... Um, Putties, you know, you know, coverings from your ankle up to your um, knees, knickerbockers which you don't see, and then this rather elegant kind of skirt that goes down to her, kind of just below the knee. So the skirt was sort of a decorum. So she kind of compromised again with the requirements of propriety, uh, and those people at the Hermitage who felt that it was wrong that she a climb alone with a guide male uh, and Mm -hmm. secondly that she put on the garb of an alpinist so she does compromise by wearing this kind of a skirt Um, but some of the stories say that once she was out of view of the Hermitage she took it off stuffed it in a backpack and it was only put on again once she was you know, walking up to the Hermitage door, basically. Um, but the accounts vary a little bit. But essentially what she's wearing is is mountaineering gear. Okay, leading up to the climb, three months training under a certain Muriel Cadogan, or Cadogan mm. at the Dupain Institute of Physical Education in Sydney. Tell mm. me about that relationship. So Muriel Cadogan was an English woman who ended up in Sydney and ran a an institute of sort of physical education, if you like. Uh, and they were quite popular, sort of bit bohemian modish at the time. Uh, in Christchurch, Etty Rout and Fred Hornibrook ran a similar um, institute of 
body culture or something like that, I think mm. they called it, whereby you, know, you kind of wore rather sort of modern body suits and did physical exercises, men and women. And I think Muriel Cadogan's Institute of Physical Education was somewhat similar. So it was about strength, flexibility, rhythm, movement, you know, keeping the body um, fit and, and pliable, um, and stretched, if you like. So when you see the exercises, they, they're, they're rather like that. So Muriel and uh, Frida met at that institute. And uh, yes, Frida did her sort of mountain preparation fitness exercise at Muriel's studio. And they became very close companions. Um, and when... Um, Later, later on, sort of after 1913, which is the end of really Frida's climbing career in New Zealand, Muriel and Frida go back to England. They have sort of plans, or Frida has plans to climb perhaps in the Himalayas, uh, perhaps in, in the Swiss Alps, but war comes along that disrupts everybody's plans. Um, but Muriel and um, Frida remain close companions for the rest of their rather... Um, tragic lives, actually. Fair to say, life partners, romantic mm. partners. I, I think so. Yeah. Um, when not when, particularly out in the open back then, I imagine. No, and when uh, Frida publishes her book, she dedicates it to my friend Muriel Cadigan, and I'm reading from the dedication, whose love and sympathy have never failed me. I dedicate this book. So it's clear their relationship was close, committed. Um, they were each other's love, it seems, um, which was uh, not a happy story for Muriel's family. Okay. Should, should we come back to that and mm. make sure we talk about this climb, mm. the famous climb of Mount Cook, December 3rd, 1910? Mm. What's their strategy getting to the top? So uh, you, first of all, have to get up the mountain a bit, bivouac overnight, uh, and then get up it one or two in the morning, uh, and here she is with Alec and Peter Graham and Frida. Uh, they, this, is, this is not just, um, let's do it today, this has been planned. <laughs> but she, she's arrived in New Zealand not long before that, but it's kind of the prime climbing time. Early summer, there's still a lot of snow and ice that's in good form and shape, and hopefully good weather. So they get up very early, as is the common way, when it's still in the dark and where the, the snow and ice surface is still good and firm. Uh, and they are climbing pretty steeply up, up the ridge for um, nearly six hours. As they get towards the top, um, and as was the practice at the time, um, the Grahams are cutting steps and she's climbing up behind them. Uh, but as then, as she says, at last we saw the dead white summit gleaming above us while the first ray of sunshine we'd seen that day glinted nearby. We went for it with a will, accomplishing a particularly nasty traverse over an icy couloir. When we reached the ice cap, we found it all windblown into projecting wavelets of ice under which the rope caught on every possible occasion. Hmm. And then we were within a few feet of the top, they sent me alone, on alone the length of the rope. I gained the summit and waited for them, feeling very little, very lonely, and uh -huh. much inclined to cry. 
They caught my hands and shook them, their eyes glowing with pleasure and pride, and with an effort I swallowed the lump in my throat and laughed instead. (laughs) (laughs) So this is at 8.40 in the morning. So all of that upward, you know, the the great climbing part is, is in that very early morning in the dark and then it's December so the light will be coming from sort of four thirty five in the morning. Yeah, but into I think the I've daylight. Got, I've got here that I think they began that uh, ascent at two fifty AM in the right. morning. Yeah. That's right, that's right. So it's it's very early in the morning that you begin. Uh, and then they spend a couple of hours at the top admiring, you know, magnificence of views and just the, the glory of, of being there. Uh, and then, I like that detail, by the way. They spend a couple of hours up there. Mm, and, and Why not, right? Well, you've spent all that time. And, and, uh, and then it's about six and a half hours um, down. Um, of course, down can be the harder part of climbing <laughs> in such circumstances. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And then a little bit further on, Jesse, this and this is Frida's account, but it's uh, you know, it's a it's a splendid account. Um, and then when they're back at the bivouac, you know, that the later in the afternoon, five thirty or so, so the, you know, the day's a long one, and there they are back safe. Um, and uh, Alex Graham this is Frida quoting and says, look, draws out his watch, points to the time, 5.30pm, by Jove, six hours up, two hours there, six and a half down. That time will some take some beating little lady and Alex shook my other hand vigorously. Oh, <laughs> so, you know, it was a remarkable climb. Uh, you know, getting to the top of Old is a remarkable climb for anyone at any time. Um, for Frida, um, first woman climber to do it and then to do it at such speed. No, it's, it's it's tremendous. And if she was in the papers beforehand, I bet she was in them afterwards. Oh yes, and and she was sort of unassailable after that. So having done that, um, people could no longer say, "Oh, you know, you shouldn't really go out," you know, with with uh, strange men on the mountains. You know, she had proven that she was up for it. Was that her greatest achievement as a mountaineer? Well, it, it was a significant one, but this is 1910, and she's back in New Zealand for every climbing season, 1911, 12, 13. So she's the second, um, uh, second person to climb to the top of Tasman. Um, she does a whole series of other quite remarkable and adventurous climbs in those subsequent seasons and then in 1913 the last season she spends in the New Zealand mountains uh, she does uh, the traverse of all three peaks um, of Auraki again with the Grahams and and again that was a pretty remarkable achievement as well so she's not a one hit wonder um, get to Auraki once Um, she she does significant um, mountaineering thereafter. But then does stop climbing Mm. fairly abruptly in 1913. Mm. So I think this is to do with, um, you know, her and Muriel's relationship and plans. Uh, They go to England again with the thought that they'll perhaps travel further and climb in other places, but the war comes along, disrupts things. Uh, And there isn't really any opportunity that she comes back and climbs beyond that. Mm. And and actually, Jesse, maybe that's not all that surprising. Many people's mountaineering careers does is confined to a certain period in their life and and typically in the sort of age range that Frida was. So um, she's in her late twenties, early thirties in the time that she's climbing in the New Zealand mountains. So that's probably not unlike many subsequent mountaineering careers. Tell me how things went 
back in England when she moved there with Muriel. Mm. So Frida writes her book, published in 1915, and um, she, that's a great success. It sells well. She's well-known. It's well, widely reported. Um, has plans to do other things, but um, they get diverted. Muriel's family, as I um, indicated earlier, were deeply disapproving of the close relationship between the two women. So they actually um, commit Muriel to a kind of an asylum, I suppose you would perhaps describe it. Uh, And um, Muriel um, fades, um, becomes ill, uh, and virtually starves to death and dies in 1929 or so. It's a very um, sad uh, end to her life. And that's pretty devastating for Frida, uh, for whom... This this asylum, is this... They're trying to cure her of homosexuality, are they? Well, you could put it like that. they're, They're trying to put Muriel out of Frida's path, I suppose, to separate the two, and whatever they think is wrong with Muriel, they think the asylum might be the place to remedy that. I mean, it is an exceptionally sad mm. uh, ending. Frida comes, returns to Australia, which you know was her home where she was born, uh, and takes up life in Sydney again, does lots of walking, hill walking, walking where she had walked uh, as a child and young person. So that love of being in the outdoors and walking is still there. But it's 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 not enough to sustain her. So what happens then? Tell me about the rest of her life. So she in nineteen thirty five she takes her own life. Um so that's it it is a sad end to both the women's lives. Um uh, so I suppose tough time to be born gay. It's got to be said. Absolutely, and uh, I mean now um, you see Muriel and Frida appearing um, within um, queer culture and queer life, being reclaimed as um, great figures of the past. Um, but of course, it's it's two sided. There's the the wonder of Frida's life and venture, and actually both women's joy in being active in the body and uh, enjoying travel and exploration and enjoying each other's company um, and the and the tragedy of the intolerability of their relationship to the society in which they lived. Um, and perhaps we could just finish talking about her grave. So she was, after she died in 1935, she was buried in Graven in Sydney, which was largely unmarked and unknown. Um, In 2006, a group of people um, decided this was not satisfactory and um, went to special lengths to mark Frida's grave, which is in Manly in Sydney, uh, and to note that this this is Frida DeFore, an important person, a person of adventure, of courage, uh, and of social um, suffering, um, 
Uh, but this is this is where she is. So he's a a person whose whose life, an important part of her life, was in New Zealand, but who lived, was born, and died in Sydney. And you can go now, if you kind of know where to look, to Manly and see Frodo for for's um, grave now marked. Professor Charlotte Macdonald, you've done a great job of telling this story. Thank you so much for your time today. Kia ora, Jesse. Charlotte's been in for our series on sporting history. We've been talking about Australian mountaineer Frida de Four, who became the first known woman to climb our tallest mountain, Auraki Mount Cook, in 1910.